KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. So the U.S. Supreme Court has handed down some pretty controversial decisions recently. Think Dobbs last year or this year, the end of affirmative action in colleges. But past any one decision, there's something that's really jumped out to me as a layman. It seems like legal principles that I thought were like bedrock, think standing and precedent, they just don't seem to mean quite as much to this court. I think the two together, that is this being a time where the court is changing the law very dramatically, together with the ethical standard issues, really makes it look like the Supreme Court's in tatters. Laura Little is the James G. Schmidt Chair in Law at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. We talked to her about the impact the Supreme Court's decisions and direction have had on how she teaches law. I asked students to say, okay, let's look at Dobbs. Do you believe the rhetoric about states' rights? Or do you believe, in fact, that it's just a smokescreen for implementing a moral and religious judgment? I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we talk about the Supreme Court's approach, how public perception of the court has changed, and how law professors are navigating the terrain. As a layman, and the stories I read about recent Supreme Court rulings over the last couple years, it really seems like a lot of things that I thought were really important as far as, like, who has standing in a case and what has come before precedent, and you always heard that precedent really matters and things like that. As a layman, it seems like a lot of times now that doesn't matter like it did, and things are kind of being whipped around, and this just seems really unusual. So as someone who studies the law, Am I being hyperbolic? Am I characterizing things unfairly? Or are we really experiencing some things out of specifically the Supreme Court that are different? I agree with you that it does have a different feel to it. The United States Supreme Court in the last three three years since you know we've had this super majority of, of conservatives that have the ability to, in fact, have a great impact on changing the law. Having said that, The Supreme Court has done this throughout history. That is, it's changed course. It's reacted to world events, to particular cultural events within the country. And I'm thinking, for example, if you look back at the internment of the Japanese, which was upheld by the Supreme Court, unusual um, holding for the court in response to the bombing of, of Pearl Harbor. I'm also thinking of the Red Scare, in the 50s, which had a a significant impact on how the court was deciding freedom of speech issues. And even after 9-11, with all the litigation regarding Guantanamo, the court was in a position to, we were scared. You know, we thought we were out under attack by the world and the court was under, it was in a position where it might've had to make modifications in the law because of these extraordinary circumstances. So, We should take that to heart, that throughout history, this type of thing has happened. As to standing, the Supreme Court has has fiddled with the standing doctrine from the time it was created. So that's not necessarily, I think, anything anything new. That is, it's, it's a doctrine that seems to be used when it's convenient to get to the bottom line of the particular social issue in the case, or where it's convenient to duck the issue. Right? It's always been used in that way. So that's not at all an, uh, unusual. 
I think the challenge is for us to figure out why it's happening now. I mean, one explanation is what the court does very much depends on what president nominated and what Senate confirmed the Supreme Court justices that are on the court. And that's changed in the last three years. But is there something else that's going on? That is, is there something we're, we're reacting to? Is there something to as a nation we're afraid of? The best I can come up with, at least preliminarily, to try to figure this out is that, first of all, these are times where we have great conflict and disagreement in society, right? So anything that it appears to be significant, a change in the law, I think will have greater impact because of the strong reaction to it. I also think that society is uncomfortable because a lot of people can't make a family wage, right? So people feel very insecure, or a lot of people feel very insecure, and that sort of manifests, I think, in in how we're reacting to Supreme Court decisions and how the Supreme Court may be. In addition, is there like racial tension that that has hasn't been able to come to the head in other parts of history and is now coming coming to its head, and we're seeing how that's manifesting. Those are the best explanations for me as to why, in this point of history, we see that kind of change. So we're seeing things, and I'm thinking specifically like the 303 creative case, which we saw, and then there was reporting that uh, the man who allegedly had asked this person to perform services didn't actually do it, you know, was not asking about a same-sex marriage, is not gay, and it just seemed to, the whole thing just kind of seemed to collapse in my eyes, like, well, then what are we doing here? And it seems like we are deciding cases on something we're worried might happen instead of what's actually in front of us. Once again, am I, as a layman, am I mischaracterizing this? It just, it seemed, that one specifically looking, seemed very weird. And the more you learned about it, the more you're like, oh, okay. No, I I agree with you in that it was one of those instances where it appeared as though justices on the court had an agenda. They wanted to get to a particular issue. And this case was presented to them. It may have had issues, as you described, that there really wasn't a true controversy going on. But there may be other things about the case that the court found that it was a really good vehicle for deciding these issues. The other reason I think that that case... um, the 303 creative case, as well as the abortion decision from from last year that I think is significant is these are cases that in the lower court didn't even get to trial. All the facts had not been developed, right? Sometimes you might have a problem with a potential problem with standing, but the lower court overlooks it. And it actually, we get the opportunity of a full airing of the facts that gave rise to this dispute. But I agree with you that the court seems to be reaching out a lot to reach these issues that it has this preformed agenda for where deciding. And then when we talk about precedent, you mentioned, you know, Dobbs, which overturns Roe versus Wade. You had the ruling here, which effectively end this in this term, which effectively ended affirmative action in colleges. These are huge sea changes that I guess my question is, 
once again, coming at this from someone who doesn't study law, are we to take from this that there really is nothing as far as what settled law is? Because I know during these confirmation hearings, anytime prospective justices were asked about things and they didn't really want to talk about, well, that's settled law. Well, that's settled. we're putting that to the side. That's settled law. So it's obviously not. Is that how we should operate now? Like that everything is kind of up for grabs as long as they get the right vehicle to bring it to the court? Well, it's disheartening to to look at it from that point of view, and it certainly looks like that. I point out again that this is not the first time in history that we've had that kind of flip-flop. When the affirmative action decision this term, as well as in Dobbs, there was a very, very long paragraph about Brown versus Board of Education. Brown versus Board of Education about the, the integration of the schools, as you know, as well as the idea that separate is not not equal. That is a secret sacred cow in constitutional jurisprudence now. Even the most conservative justices say that they're not in a position to to disavow Brown versus Board of Education. But that was a very dramatic decision. Very dramatic as a matter of American society and culture and overruling a specific case. So again, I emphasize that it's it's not the first time that this has happened. We need to take a break. We will have more with Laura Little right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Laura Little from Temple University's Beasley School of Law. How do you approach this when it comes to teaching law? Because it seems to me that you would kind of be saying, well, this matters a lot until the point it doesn't. And then... I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being flippant, but, you know, precedent matters, precedent matters, precedent matters, precedent doesn't matter. How do you teach this? And have you or colleagues shifted the way you approach things as far as how you present them to, to students? I can only speak for myself in detail. I know that that what you read, how other law professors who are are coping with this time is that they are more cynical, some of them. I haven't really changed how I'm teaching that much because what I see my role as teaching to different levels of what lawyers do. On one level, law is a fairly technical discipline, even constitutional law. I think sometimes, you know, people don't quite understand that there's a huge amount of rules and doctrine and rigor to constitutional law. It's not a morning talk show when you're discussing these issues, that there's really very, very difficult concepts that you need to nail down. And lawyers need to be able to use those rules and use them with deep knowledge. So I'm continuing to do that. You know, I teach Roe versus Wade, and that held this, and I teach Dobbs, and that held this. And in terms of the legal doctrine, how is this different? How does it compare to other substantive due process cases and the like. So that's just one level that I teach on that lawyers have to be able to, to, to work in that world and make arguments on both sides. But I also understand that lawyers are very important parts of society. They're opinion leaders. They oftentimes become political leaders or leaders of institutions. And on that level, it's important to probe the more difficult questions of morality and culture and is there a late relationship between 
the governmental issues that you might have a very passionate feeling about, and the moral religious issues that are implicated in a lot of these cases. So I just tried without insulting people or upsetting people because people don't learn when they're really upset to try to probe that relationship. And one of the ways that I go at it, for example, is you often see conservative justices talking about federalism, states' rights, limiting the federal government, whereas more liberal justices are much more willing to read the federal government's powers more expansively. That's an oversimplification, but you often see that. So I, I ask students to say, okay, let's look at Dobbs. Do you believe the rhetoric about states' rights, or do you believe, in fact, that it's just a smokescreen for implementing a moral and religious judgment that was not previously in place? So I try to come at it from that kind of angle, and it, I find that it's not quite as disturbing and unsettling, because otherwise it appears as though nothing matters in the law in ter- except for what president appointed what, what, what justice. And I think it allows you to think a little bit more deeply about the relationship between how our government is structured, which is a big part of the Constitution, and how, in fact, social values are implemented in the law. But it seems like with this Supreme Court, except when it came to gun laws, then they were big to make sure that New York couldn't have, I I think it was the ruling on concealed carry, or it was something with guns, where they said state can't override. So it's very interesting that we're pushing power away from the federal government until it's a cause of something that we feel strongly on. Then all of a sudden, it's important for the federal government to have sway. Like, am I mischaracterizing that? Or is that another thing you kind of, that just seems to kind of move depending upon where they want it to go? Well, that would be the type of issue. And it is the type of issue that I bring up in my constitutional law course. That is, when there's a discussion of the importance of state prerogatives, is it just simply convenient? We're just going to use it where it helps to get to a bottom line that I've already pre-engineered, or do we use it because it's an independent principle? So your observation that, in fact, there appears to be flip-flopping is certainly accurate. I'll say that it's not confined to one side of the political spectrum. I'm just trying to avoid suggesting that none of this matters. It's all a matter of what the judge had for breakfast and who who appointed her, right? Um, Because I think there's a lot more in terms of, first, the practice of law and understanding that it may be that in many instances, whoever says they're interested in state prerogatives deeply believes that. Right. Um, So you may see inconsistencies in the law, but you may also see justices that adhere fairly closely to that. You've got these case decisions that are being reversed that are, you know, upending people's lives where there really didn't seem to be much problem. And you put this all together. The Supreme Court seems to be having a really outsized effect on day to day life in this country with shadows of scandal over top of it, that just, that combination doesn't seem to be good for the court. And we see that in approval ratings. So like what happens when we're in a situation like that, when more and more people are unhappy with the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is 
coming with a bigger and bigger hammer on things. This, this seems like it, it has toxic ramifications. I agree. I think the two together, that is this being a time where the court is changing the law very dramatically, together with the ethical standard issues, really makes it look like the Supreme Court's in, in, in tatters. And I think that the ethical standard issue is much easier to grapple with, but maybe John Roberts will come around in terms of taking the initiative to create an ethical code for the, for the Supreme Court. I mean, if you think of it, most of the justices, I think all but one, were lower court judges, lower court federal judges before they went on the Supreme Court. In that capacity, they had to work within an ethical code. That is, they had to you know, behave themselves in terms of what presence they took and what presence they didn't take. And then all of a sudden they get on the Supreme Court and, you know, they're above the law. It doesn't look very good. Um, so to me, that's that's something that can could really help increase the, the legitimacy of how we view the Supreme Court. Do you find your students head spinning on things this court does as opposed to the past and, and things that seem to matter that don't seem to matter as much? Like what kind of questions or what kind of comments do you hear from uh, from from future lawyers that are your students now? I've been hearing a whole lot more cynicism than I had in previous years. And that's the cynicism that all that matters is is who appointed the judge. So that's, I think, a fact. At the same time, law students tend to be on the liberal side of the political spectrum. You know, they're young people, et cetera. Um, but I have a fair amount of conservative students as well. And that doesn't always come out. That is, you hear more from the majority of students that are that are really upset about what's going on and less from the conservative students that may be very happy with these new holdings. So that's sort of the dynamic of, of what the classroom appears to be like today. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.